never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that finally has acquired the third access keycard, and we can continue our quest for the Omega virus. My name is Drew, I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. Hey, Peter. man. What's up? <laughs> um, that might have been a little too deep cut of a reference, but hey, that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. If you're not caught, caught up in the crossfire, you might get that one. So, uh, yeah, what's going on? If you're not <laughs> caught up, caught up in the crossfire. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, well played there, my friend. Um, so, um, I don't know, like my week has been insanely busy. I don't know about yours. Um, this is that I've said it before. This is that time of year where a lot of things coalesce at the same time. So it's a very tightly managed schedule on my part. Um, and this podcast kind of has become like a fourth job in the equation of life. So making sure I get everything in and all that stuff and keeping up with things has been difficult, yeah. but here I am, and I'm ready to talk about stuff because I don't stop consuming things. So, um, <laughs> thus is the nature of life. <laughs> yeah. So let's start with you, man. What are we? Uh, how is your week? And then what are we watching? <laughs> My week has seemed busy, but then again, I also don't really know what I've done. You know, I think it's one of those right. one of those weeks where work's really crazy busy, and then you get home and you just want to veg out and space out and stuff. So it feels it feels like you're jam-packed, but when you look back on things, you're just like, I didn't really do much. Why do I feel as busy as I have? But um that being said, I did watch some stuff. Um I've actually mentioned this like the last two episodes like briefly, but right. one thing that I've been doing a ton of is watching um I'll go on to Tubi, which is my favorite free <laughs> streaming app, and uh, I'll do things like I'll search. Um, I'll just go to the search bar and look up like comic book, like just that phrase. And surprisingly, like there's like a hundred of comic book, just documentaries and stuff that comes up. Um, so I wanted to mention a couple of like the highlights of those that I've watched recently. All right. um, one of the big ones, we've talked about it before, but like they have stuff like Comic-Con episode four, A Fan's Hope, which is the Morgan Spurlock uh, documentary that's on there. You know, there's there's stuff like that that's really cool. Um, there's also another one called 24 Hour Comic that I watched that was pretty awesome, which is kind of about the uh, 24 hour comic book um, event mm -hmm. that uh, mm -hmm. was started by Scott McCloud. So it's basically you and a couple friends, um, hopefully at a comic shop, but you can do it uh, at home as well. On one Saturday every year, you kind of just lock yourself up and uh, just sit there and try to complete a full 22 page comic book within 24 hours. So that's like writing, storyboarding, drawing, inking, like it's a crazy process, but uh, 
it's just something that looks super fun. I really want to try this at some point, but uh, my biggest takeaway from that movie was <laughs> these people are actually seriously trying to complete a full comic book in 24 hours, which is insane. My impression of like the 24 hour comic book is, was always like, come up with like a three or four page story <laughs> and then just try to draw and ink that within 24 hours. But sure. no, these people are going all in like 20 plus some pages, which is pretty awesome. Um, so that was a really inspiring one. But honestly, out of all these uh, random comic book documentaries I've been watching on Tubi, the highlight actually was one that I watched this last week, which was uh doomed the untold story of the roger court of sorry doomed the untold story of roger corman's the fantastic four and uh this is the really (laughs) so that's on tubi so check it out all right i don't know if you've seen this documentary drew i know we've talked about the 90s i can't remember what year but it was like this mid 90s uh fantastic four film that uh fox had to make and it was this really like behind the scenes like we have to make a movie to to keep the rights for fantastic four so like fox bought the move the rights to fantastic four like years previously and they had to make a movie by a certain date in order to keep the rights so basically what they did is they took one million dollars like this movie had a one million dollar total budget and they made a Fantastic Four movie. And uh, this documentary is fascinating because basically what they did is they took the tiniest budget that they could. They hired the they hired Roger Corman to produce this. And Roger Corman is somebody who is known for low budget films. They basically took they basically hired the best known low budget producer they could and that was that. And they put together a fantastic four movie. And uh, it's super interesting because you're watching these actors and directors and editors and everybody involved in the film was talking all about how this movie came to be. But the crazy thing is nobody who was involved in the film knew that the film was never going to be to be released. Like they all thought it was legitimately going to get a theatrical cut. They were all going all in. Uh, There was editors working off hours. There was people putting their own money into it just because they believed in this product so much. And it was never released by the studio. And it's this really tragic, but interesting story of like this labor of love. So that was really awesome. Um, I actually I've seen clips, but I haven't watched the actual Fantastic Four movie that this is about. Again, this movie never got an official release, but it is bootleggable. So if you go to oh, okay. comic conventions and stuff like that, you can buy bootleg versions of this Fantastic Four. I actually found that it's on YouTube. So that's actually something I'm planning on watching really soon is actually watching through it. And that's one of the cool things about this documentary is you watch the documentary and then you want to watch the actual movie much in the same way as uh, the uh, death of Superman lives documentary by John, John Schnepp. That's about the uh, Tim Burton Superman lives movie that was never released, but the Superman lives was a really cool documentary. Absolutely. And it's one of those things like superhero or documentaries about unreleased superhero movies are like 
so interesting and I don't know if there's enough material for there to be more but out of the two that I've seen I absolutely love (laughs) so I guess this is just like a prayer to the uh gods of movie making or whatever like please give me more content like this because it's so good but uh drew i think you would definitely love this uh doomed documentary so uh yeah definitely check it out when you got the chance um let's see other than that um unless i don't know if you had any questions about the doomed one or any comments no Okay, cool. <laughs> I don't have any questions. Just I know the backstory of the film. I just didn't know there was a documentary on it, so I'm interested and I want to watch it now. So absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then uh, yeah, the, otherwise um, I'm still slowly rewatching the series Teen Wolf, which is mm-hmm. tons of fun. But I don't, I don't necessarily have too much new to say on it from what I said last week. And then uh, I watched Last of Us this week, and uh, that's about it for me. So oh, all right. Well, unfortunately, I did not watch Last of Us. Um, oh, great. Okay. I've been, I've been trying to, like, <laughs> this is where my schedule's been crazy. So it's just when it lands versus what can I watch before we record, because it's Sunday night. So it's just how things play out in the realm of life is what's basically going on. So I'll be caught up soon. It's not like um, I'm too far behind. It's not like I have, like, six episodes to watch. I have one. And then whatever <laughs> drops tomorrow. So Right on, right on. Um, so I watched, are you caught up with Vox Machina? No, I'm, okay. that's the one thing I've dropped the ball on. I am not right. caught up on Vox that's, Machina, so. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm current on Vox Machina. The show's great. I can't wait for more of it. They have the the final three episodes drop tomorrow night because it's a 12-episode season and they're releasing them three episodes at a time. Um, so the final three episodes drop tomorrow, so I really look forward to seeing those. Um, I did start watching White Lotus finally. That's the one thing I did oh, cool. uh, jump into uh, this past week since we re- talked. Um, White Lotus, um, I'm one up. I have the finale left for season one. Uh, okay. That's where that's where I'm at. The show is really good. It's very well acted, very well casted. It's really well written and put together. One thing that I find really interesting because I like to study this stuff. You know, um, I like to really dissect and study. Um, so I'm always like how they do it, put it together, that kind of stuff. I always look at the writing like under a under a uh, magnifying glass to like pay attention to how lines of dialogue are written and inflection and all that stuff. So um, I'm watching it and I notice that in White Lotus has a weird formula to it where you get to the last three to four minutes left of the episode and the music ramps up and they start and on the clips cut from people to people and almost like this montage thing, like they're setting up a, a cliffhanger and then they don't show you a cliffhanger. They just end the episode, <laughs> um, which I thought was I got to really, pay attention to that now, <laughs> which, which I thought was really interesting. And I don't know if it carries on to season two. I just noticed I was like, like the first episode ended that way. And I was like, oh, they're ramping up for something. And then I didn't feel like anything really happened first episode to second episode. And then they did it again the second episode. And then they did it again the third episode. And I'm like, oh, this just might be their formula, which is totally fine. I just thought it was a unique thing that happened. Um, (laughs) But I'm really enjoying the show. It's a lot of fun. So um, I really look forward to seeing how season one plays out. Um, However, Jennifer Coolidge, as great as she is, she's phenomenal in the show. But I'm sorry, I come from a generation that can't get past Stifler's mom. And <laughs> like, right. I, that's, 
that's all I see. I just see Stifler's mom, and it's like, and it's not really like ruining it for me, but I'm just like, Stifler's mom. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> She's definitely one of those actors that it's hard to uh, separate separate her from uh, previous roles. So I definitely understand where sure. you're coming from there. But uh, no, I thought I thought White Lotus was great. Um, I honestly think the second season I liked a lot better than the first. So. I'm curious to see what you say about that. But uh, knowing where you are in the series, I think it's like just a really cool spot. And uh, I love how that you can like feel the tension, like building up after every episode and stuff like that. So I'm I'm sure there's a couple of the situations that you're just like, I really just want to know where this is headed. You know what I mean? <laughs> so. there's, definitely, there's definitely a little bit of that. Sure. Um, the. I watched a trailer that I told you to check out, a trailer for Air. Did you watch that? Yes. Yeah, I did check that out. I, all right. When I started watching the trailer, I was like, new Ben Affleck movie, whatever. I didn't know what it was. Yeah. And I was like, this looks awesome. <laughs> this <laughs> right. looks like, this is like a Michael Jordan biopic. That's not really a Michael Jordan biopic. It's more like a biopic about the shoe. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. It just... I'm watching this. I'm like, this movie looks really cool. And then what really surprised me was the end of the film, because I was waiting for them to say Jordan's name for sure in the trailer. And eventually they did. But at the end of the trailer, they show it says written and directed by Ben Affleck. Awesome. I didn't didn't even even, catch that. I didn't even have a I'm like, what? Like, I didn't have a clue that he was working on something like this. It just looks really, really cool. So kudos to him. The movie looks cool. I can't wait to see it. Um, yeah. What do you think of the trailer? (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty much what there is to say. I feel like it's one of those, uh, like we talk about the streaming wars on here a lot, like about, you know, Netflix just bought the rights for this and HBO Max is doing this. And there's a lot of interesting conversations just about the streaming services and the properties they're working with. And I feel like this is kind of one of those things, you know, where like, I want to see, you know, in 10 years from now, I want to see the Wolf Wolf of Wall Street-esque movie about what's going on behind the scenes at, like, Netflix and the streaming war stuff. And I feel like this movie is one of those behind the scenes. Like, we all know Michael Jordan. We all know the Air Jordan shoes. We all, not all of us, but a lot of us millennials were there to experience um, kind of the Nike Jordan boom of like the 80s and the 90s and this movie seems to be like kind of the behind the scenes stuff that we didn't know about so i think it's really cool there's definitely a story to be told there and it's uh i like movies that do that sort of like quiet behind the scenes look at the stuff you didn't know that was going on but all surrounds like a huge event or in this case like a huge cultural movement if you will so uh yeah it just looks it just looks super interesting so definitely excited for this one yeah so um that looks great and then the other thing did you by any chance watch the fake mario kart trailer no (laughs) no that sounds awesome though (laughs) all right so this past weekend saturday night live had pedro pascal host and obviously they have to do some kind of last of us thing right so there's a there's a bit where he's dancing with one of the clickers on stage and a couple other things. But the one thing they did, which blew my mind, so you have to look this up. You really do. Just type right. in just type in SNL Mario Kart. It'll pop right up. 
So it starts out as a trailer for a television series titled Mario Kart. And it the way it plays out is that it's the because of the success you hear the narrator because of the success of shows like Last of Us and something else HBO is now tackling a property no one thought should, could have ever been done and he's like from the minds behind the writers of the Mario Karts 1 through 8 <laughs> um <laughs> and it's showing this like apocalyptic dystopian um desolate future where like everything's destroyed and wrecked and you have the girl who you have this girl walks up and she's like, we need someone to run some cargo across the rainbow road. We heard you used to be a driver and you see like over the shoulder of Pedro Pascal and he's in like the red sweater with the, with the overalls and the hat. <laughs> <laughs> and he turns around and he does the whole, it's a me Mario line, but it's nice in the way Pedro Pascal would say it. And then, um, He's like, what's the cargo? And she's like, and the girl's like, well, it's not a what, it's a who. She used to be a princess. And he watched this girl in like a pink, like tattered up dress come out and she pulls the hood up and it's Princess Peach. <laughs> um, dude, you that have, to, awesome. you have, have to, to watch this, this trailer. It's so funny because yeah. then they get to the end of the trailer and they're like, IGN says it's a movie. It's a television series that never should have been made and blah, blah, blah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then they start trolling it. It's so funny. And you're just like, I would watch the hell out of this. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah, check that out. And that's basically about it for me in the watching category. Um, we do have a handful of news to discuss. So let's get to it if you're down. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay. A lot of these are quick hits. So um, we'll knock those out fairly fast. Um, oh, I'll save that one. That Those... I have to lump those together. You'll know what I'm talking about in a second. So, yeah. All right. So, Spider-Man Noir live-action series is coming to Prime Video. Um, if you remember from Spider-Verse, there was the Noir Spider-Man, um, which is like black and white Spider-Man in a trench coat and a fedora and stuff like that. Um, apparently, they're doing a live-action series, and it's going to be on Prime. Um, Crazy. It's I know. So that sounds cool. Cause... That sounds cool, but it's like... Okay, like I don't really know what to say about it um, as of yet. Yeah, it's it's so weird because we thought all the uh, Spider-Man stuff was gonna go to uh, Netflix, but I guess <laughs> I don't know. Sony seems to be in a weird weird place, I guess. But uh, yeah, or is this is this gonna be Marvel? Like I I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know where this sits in the streaming wars. Well, but, you gotta uh, remember, it sounds really cool. You gotta remember that Spider-Man, the rights still sit with Sony. Yeah. In terms of the film and television rights, they still sit with Sony. And there's the contractual deal about sharing the character and about making the Spider-Verse work with the Marvel stuff. And um, and Marvel, like the movies are very slowly going to end up on Disney Plus. Like like the original Spider-Man movies have are either they just left Netflix or they're about to leave Netflix. But then after that they'll be free to go over to Disney plus. So we're going to finally start getting those movies on there, which will be great, but we still got a ways to go before we get to see like the Tom Holland Spider-Man movies on Disney plus because they're locked into contracts with other places. Um, if Sony has a deal with Amazon for this, you know, Spider-Man noir show, you're just like, well, I guess that's going to be, have to be added in the mix in terms of like watch order. But at the same time, like, <laughs> like how does that, how does that factor in, you know? Yeah, or or does it? Will it ever factor in? Is a good yeah. question as well. But 
we're dealing with a spider verse so why not so sounds awesome is um did you say nicholas cage is signed on or are we still waiting to find out about that <laughs> there was no casting information it was just this, right it's being developed so sometimes when these things like get announced it's like hey we're gonna do this thing and we don't have anything yet you know mm-hmm. it's kind of like james gunn's dc announcements last week where he's like we got this movie this movie and this movie Notice there was no discussion of casting. It was, we got these things coming. Right on, like, yeah. Sweet. <laughs> you know, you're really excited for it. So I'm down. I'll check it out. Um, yeah, absolutely. All right. This weekend is the Super Bowl. Yes, uh, it is. So I look forward to trailers and what they're going to show. I'm not really sure. And I didn't really go digging for stuff, like what the trailers are going to be, because I'm sure I can just pull them up on the internet later and watch them all quietly because whatever party I'm going to be at, it's going to be too loud to actually pay attention and watch the trailer. So um, what the important one, however, is the first official trailer for The Flash will premiere during the Super Bowl, and it's reportedly dropping around kickoff time. So it should be like the beginning. It's um, followed by a TV spot towards the end of the first quarter. So the trailer should be very, very early. Um, so as long as I get to watch the beginning, that's great. Otherwise I can just look it up on the internet. So, but I'm excited. Right yeah. I'm excited to finally see a flash trailer. <laughs> I'm looking forward to looking it up on the internet. <laughs> yeah. Right. good. Um, okay. Video games. We don't talk about video games very often, but this one I got kind of excited about. So you know how they have the Nintendo classic. I know you have it. Right. Yes. You got the Nintendo Classic where they basically re-released the original Nintendo with a bunch of digital games preloaded onto it. So you just basically plug it into your TV and you go. Um, They did that with uh, the Super Nintendo as well. And they did it with the Sega Genesis, which was pretty cool. Well, I have a Nintendo Switch in my house. And if you have a Nintendo account, they have a thing on there called Nintendo Direct. And you can download the games for free from the Nintendo Classic from the Super Nintendo Classic that they did. They also released one for Nintendo 64 for the Nintendo Switch, so I could download that for free. And then as of yesterday, Game Boy and Game Boy Advance games are now on the Nintendo Switch. <laughs> awesome. So I literally just have these files that it's like whichever classic I want to open up, I have access mm-hmm. to these games. And they've said that like several other, like many games are going to be added to it. So they, where the Nintendo Classic is whatever you bought at the store, they're actually able to add stuff to these and just port them over. I just thought that was pretty cool. So I got kind of excited, downloaded them. They're free downloads as long as you have a Nintendo account. So um, Right on. No, that, yeah. that's awesome. I really need to get a Nintendo Switch because that just sounds epic. But uh, have you been playing any of them yet or kind of just uh, checked it out we've, a little bit? We've been playing a handful of stuff like over Christmas when we were waiting for stuff to go on in the house. Like there was nothing left to do. You're just waiting for family members to show up or you're waiting to leave the house me and the kid were playing a whole bunch of like uh, Mario three and we were trying nice. to, so, and we were doing Mario three specifically because we were trying to see how far we could get. And he's like getting all mad at me. Like, cause I know all of the secrets, like <laughs> all of them. I'm like, here's a hidden box here and you get the one up here and you go grab the thing and you fly up here. And, yeah. and he's like, seriously <laughs> here's how you got the warp whistle and <laughs> right exactly and I got, crouch and I on the on the white block and you'll go behind the scenery and yeah, yeah. And i grabbed all three warp whistles and he's like what and i'm like he's like how many more of these i'm like no nope, that's all of them and he's like really i go yeah I go, we could jump to the end of the game right now but i don't think we have enough like in our inventory yet to go he's like okay so we just kept rolling 
Um, nice. Yeah. Anyway, um, so it's just really cool that they started putting those on uh, the Nintendo <laughs> Switch. <laughs> I was going to say, um, that's awesome. I actually do. I have been playing the Nintendo Classic with my son a lot recently, and he is just shy of four years old so he definitely most of the games are like way too hard for him and stuff but he can successfully play through the first level of the original mario brothers on his own so that's pretty awesome and then once once he gets past that first level it gets too hard for him but it's super entertaining watching him play and then the way he screams and reacts when like one of the Goombas is coming towards him and almost gets him and stuff. It's amazingly entertaining. So it's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Um, well, I, I, I look forward to him. Uh, you're, you're basically raising him right. So I look forward to hearing about his adventure <laughs> to the Mario games. <laughs> Absolutely. By the way, I say Mario be like that because of uh, Ghostbusters 2. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, go watch Ghostbusters 2 and you'll laugh the same way I did. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? You're kind of like drawing a blank, like you're quiet. No, yeah. I okay. vaguely remember it. But yeah, yeah. When, Lewis, when Lewis Tully's like, you want to, I don't know what, play some Super Mario Brothers? <laughs> it always made me laugh because he said it that way. Um, anyway, nice. <laughs> um, Mario, I know how to say the name properly. Um, all right. So because of the movie Scream getting some new sequels, which um, as good as Scream 5, Scream 5, yes, 5 was, and I look forward to Scream 6. I'm not surprised if we get a little more nostalgic for old horror movies. So I know what you did last summer is it has a sequel that is now in the works. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> and um, and they're reportedly trying to get uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Rinse Jr. to return. Of course. Of course. And why wouldn't you? So, you know, so yay. Um, I, I mean, I know what you did last summer was definitely influenced by Scream, I feel like Scream really like set off like a teen slasher uh, craze in the 90s, like a you new know, genre, a new uh, wave of these kind of movies, if you will. Yeah. But as much as like I acted unenthused with that announcement, like I do actually think this will probably probably be pretty fun i'll definitely be checking this out you know why don't they bring back some more of those old 90s <laughs> horror franchises you know let's see a uh i don't know urban legend urban legend 2 they probably already have that but you know what i mean like some they did do an urban legend fun. too how many urban legends did they do i liked the first urban legends movie i kind of right right ending, on, yeah. but i kind of called the ending but i did like the movie yeah um, Anyway. Or they could make a they could make a Final Destination sequel finally. You know they yeah. never did that. <laughs> yeah, they only made like a lot of those. <laughs> I I watched through Final Destination three, which I ended up really enjoying. I didn't watch beyond that. I think there's five of them. I think the third one's pretty good, but uh, yeah, they get pretty yeah. uh, monotonous as it goes. So yeah. Um. Okay. Uh. Disney had a shareholder meeting. Um, where they dropped a couple nuggets of things. Um, importantly, Marvel is already thinking about Ant-Man 4. Uh, Ant-Man 3 hasn't dropped yet, but right. they're thinking about it, which means okay, conversations cool. have happened. That doesn't mean they're going to have an Ant-Man 4. They're just thinking about it. So yeah. um, there's really no news. So before, and, and the reason I bring this one up is because there's a lot of fake trailers going around. And if you look hard enough, you can find a ton of them and you'll be like, oh, my God, Iron Man 4. It's not a thing. Don't even read into that. Um, because Marvel 
they're not going to all of a sudden drop an Iron Man 4 on us. They've told us what our movies are laid out. Um, so Ant-Man 4, it, I think people are going to see that story and be like, oh, they're making an Ant-Man 4. That's not what the story says. <laughs> um, it's really like we're thinking about it. We're having conversations, but there's nothing on the ground yet. So. Don't all freak out. I, I imagine comicbook.com already has like five articles about it, though. <laughs> I know. I know. Or like, or Ant-Man 4 is coming is what the article will say. And then when you read the article, you get down to the very last sentence and says they're having discussions about a possibility, you know, so which is not solid. <laughs> right on. That's, that's, what bugs me about, that's what bugs me about Internet journalism right now is just like I read like a three page article for one sentence that I really wanted out of it. And it's at the very bottom. So it's like skip to the end and there's my sentence. And usually it's non-consequential stuff. Like these websites yep. have to have like, it's like their goal is to have 50 articles a day, but you know, 45 of them are just inconsequential and just like, so-and-so said this about this franchise. And it's like, okay, cool. But I got nothing to better to do. So I guess shame on me for reading all this stuff, you know, but uh, it's still fun. It's the, it's all the speculation that we love. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Lion King, iconic villain scar is getting a solo origin series on Disney plus. And you think to yourself, And you think to yourself, okay, but according to the uh, shareholder call, Disney villains in general will be taking the spotlight in a new line of series showcasing and revealing their origins. So we're not just going to get Scar. We're going to see several of the villains getting origin stories, Um, which could be kind of cool. I would like to I would hope that when they do the Scar origin story, they keep it the cartoon. And bring Jeremy Irons back and whatever. They keep it the cartoon. Yeah, absolutely. Action. And I would love to see the other ones like that, too, as opposed to live action. Like, do some of these shows like the film proper. You know, yeah. I, I just think that'd be kind of cool. Like, the movie was a cartoon, so I'm going to watch the cartoon origin story of the villain or whatever. You know, just for, like, um, uh, consistency, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. That might not be the right word to use there, but I think you know what I mean. When I'm yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. So, yeah. Um, the thing that has me a little bothered from the shareholder meeting is the following. Toy Story, Frozen, and Zootopia sequels are all in the works. Okay. Yes, I did hear about this. <laughs> Zootopia 2. Kind of surprised that hasn't happened already. So, I don't have a problem with Zootopia 2. Frozen 3. I get it. That probably was going to end up being a trilogy anyway, so I don't really have a lot to say about that. Toy Story 5. Okay. Toy Story ended at 3. If you pay attention to how that ended, they closed it with a nice bow on it. They wrapped it all together. They made me feel nostalgic for my toys as a kid. I cried. I laughed. I enjoyed it. I loved every minute of that movie. Then they ruined the whole idea of that and made Toy Story 4, and now they're going to make Toy Story 5? Come on, guys. Like, <laughs> That's my opinion. I will probably end up watching it, but in all seriousness, why are we doing this? Uh, yeah, I don't know no, if you absolutely. have any thoughts, but seriously. I don't have many different thoughts than you. I think Toy Story 3 ended that story so well. And, um, you know, Toy Story 4 was okay, but it's just really like... It gets to the point where it starts feeling like a cash grab as opposed to like 
this really good cohesive trilogy they had at Toy Story 3 and it's just kind of like I don't know you don't always have to keep a series going you know especially when you have that perfect of an ending so yeah. I don't know Disney's gonna Disney I guess <laughs> I know right here's the weird one you ready for this yes this is the weirdest story of the night Matthew McConaughey has signed on to voice Elvis Presley in Netflix's adult animated action comedy series, Agent Elvis. The series <laughs> follows Presley as he trades in his jumpsuit for a jetpack when he's covertly introduced into a secret government spy program to battle the dark forces that threaten the country he loves, all while holding down his day job as the king of rock and roll. Yeah. All right, all right, all right. I... <laughs> <laughs> It's so weird. I honestly don't know what to say about that. I was blown away when I saw that story. <laughs> I'm expecting to th this to be in the lines of uh, like Big Mouth or BoJack Horseman. Like this is Netflix's I'm assuming this is Netflix's like more Adult Swim-esque adult animated shows. That's sure. what I'm assuming. The, I could be wrong. <laughs> this could be a really serious action series, but to me, this sounds off the wall bonkers, like <laughs> something that could never happen, but is probably going to be hilarious. And the fact that Matthew McConaughey is signed on to that, I think is great and hilarious and shows that he's still having fun with stuff. You know, he doesn't take himself too seriously to do something this goofy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But hearing the King say, all right, all right, all right. That'll be interesting. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Do you know what the back rooms is? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know what the back rooms is. Um, the back rooms is a YouTube found footage horror anthology series it is created by the 70 year old kid 17 year old kid uh kane parsons he basically created he made these like they're youtube videos they're short sort of um films called the back rooms and they're found footage about this guy walking through these like very basic just greenish white opaque kind of hallways and he it's like a maze and he can't get his what he can't find his way out. And like there's corners that are dark and doorways that are dark and stuff like that. And he's like peeking around corners trying to find stuff. And then you hear like a weird noise or like a scream and the camera turns in that found footage panic kind of way. And then like at some point in the video, a monster will come out and the video will end. Nice. It's really cool. They're terrifying little short videos, but they're really kind of cool. They're called the back rooms. Look it up on YouTube. Yeah, uh, I definitely want to, actually. <laughs> but awesome. uh, the YouTube horror series Backrooms is getting turned into a feature film by A24. Um, awesome. Th this could be actually kind of cool. So, it, And it's going to be written and directed by the creator of the film. Yeah, uh, that's great. So they're getting the 17-year-old kid, Kane Parsons, will be directing um, this uh, horror, this feature. Um, so it could be... it's. Check it out. Just look up the back rooms on YouTube and watch any of them. They're really creepy and cool and uh, kind of intense. So um, my kid actually showed them to me because I didn't know that they were a thing. Yeah. Like, Dad, you got to see this. And I'm like, whoa, this is nuts. <laughs> like, <laughs> that so. sounds awesome. And what's interesting is that it's A24 that picked this up because they're so known for like the elevated horror, like really intellectual sophisticated horror movies so that makes me even more interested like this i kind of expected it to be like blumhouse to pick this up but knowing that it's a24 i feel like there 
has to be something pretty intellectually intriguing behind this uh series in general so i definitely want to check that yeah. out you know yeah so check out check out the actual ones on youtube because it'll give you an idea what you're in for um but i'm kind of curious because if you're gonna if a24 is gonna do it it's gonna have to have dialogue and it's gonna have to have some more uh uh it's gonna have to be like a different kind of presentation i think um because you're trying you have to stretch it out for the length of a feature so yeah yeah anyway um all right let's talk about some dc news and then uh, we'll talk about the list because this is the end of the thing here so (laughs) first off dc news in the midst of all of james gunn's announcements Constantine's two was never discussed we announced that constantine constantine two with keanu reeves was going to happen and that's when the whole shakeup of DC with James Gunn getting in his CEO and cleaning slate yes. and announcing his stuff. Officially, Constantine 2 is still in development amidst all of the changes going on. It's still moving forward. So good to know. Um, I just wanted to bring that up because that's one that we, we haven't talked about in a while. And in the world of them canceling things, what has happened and what hasn't happened? That's awesome. And the real question is is Constantine 2 going to be considered an Elseworlds movie? I think that's the real question at this point. So um, really awesome to hear. It's yeah, that is a, that is a great, that is a great question. It was Constantine 2 going to be an Elseworlds film. Yeah, we'll see. Um, all right. So here's something that's really cool. James Gunn did something for DC that Marvel has never done in all of the Marvel stuff. And it's something that I don't even know if Marvel could go back and do <laughs> And that is and that is praise the creators the way that DC just got praised. (laughs) Good point. And the reason I say this is because James Gunn in his big announcement said. These are the movies we're going to do and they're based on this. So they're like, hey, we're going to do this Batman story. It's based off of Grant Morrison's run uh, following Batman and Robin. We're going to do this Supergirl story, which is based off of Tom King's run with Supergirl. Yeah, very good point. Same title. He specifically called out the creators. He specifically called out the titles of the books. So what's interesting about that is, first off, DC is going to call out a story arc and adapt it. Marvel has never done that. Marvel has said, we're going to do Captain America Civil War. And it had to be their version of the Civil War book, which is very different than the actual what the movie the book is very different than what the movie turned out to be. Yeah. DC is calling out a book and saying we're going to do this specific version. That's awesome. The other thing is that because he called out those creators in his announcement, uh, the ones that he mentioned, DC has completely sold out of all of those titles <laughs> since the announcement. Nice. James Gunn had to go onto Twitter and say, I just talked to Jim Lee about everything selling out, but the fine folks at DC Comics will have more coming soon. Dude, that's awesome. No, that's great. Like, that's so cool. Like, Marvel has never done that. DC has the ability to keep doing that. Hey, this is the next story arc we're doing. It's based off of this guy's run of this or this guy's done you know, run of that, or this person did this yep. and so on. And they made DC sell out of comics. And that's amazing. We've never had that reported on the Marvel side of things. So I'm just, I'm really excited for them. I'm really happy for them moving forward. It's great. And um, I, I think that's beautiful. Cause not to like derail us too much, but I yeah, do no, think no. that 
at a time when it's just crazy to me that like sometimes you do read like stories about how like DC and Marvel's sales are down and stuff. And I'm just sitting here like at a time when the superhero movies are just so first and foremost, like they're just everybody's so obsessed with these superhero movies like the comic should the comic sales should reflect that. And I do think that both companies have had a boost since like superhero movies reigned supreme. But I don't think that the companies have had the kind of boost that they deserved, if that makes sense. And that's what's really cool about this is like if we're seeing direct increases in comic book sales based on James Gunn's announcement, like that's kind of how I feel like it should be should have been all along, if that makes sense. No, I'm totally with you. And I feel like until now, I always felt like I was in the minority where when. So, for example, when they announced uh, when they announced Captain America Winter Soldier, I went back and reread Winter Soldier. Yeah. They announced Civil War. I went I went and reread that when they when I we realized we were moving to the Infinity Gauntlet. I went and reread the Infinity War stuff. But I feel like I was in the minority that did that. You know, I'm like, ooh, I'm going to go reread this, you know. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but in all seriousness, like this is awesome that they did that. And um, I because I use the DC universe, uh, the DC Infinite app a lot for my reading comics right now because I get to read. You can I can literally read on my phone anywhere I am. Um, yeah. I flagged both those story arcs, uh, the the Batman, because a lot of the ones he mentioned um, I had read. But uh, this uh, the Batman Brave and the Bold, I hadn't read it yet. So I flagged it and put it on my list and, nice. like, and the, the same thing with the Supergirl one. So I'll be reading those soon, but I just think that's awesome that DC is selling out the way they did. So yeah. That's um, great. All right. James Gunn is also talked about how he's writing the Superman movie. Um, and in the midst of all of it, he didn't drop any casting news, but he did drop this nugget, which I thought was really great. Um, it's a quote by Grant Morrison uh, so I wanted to read this because you're such a massive Superman fan. Um, I wanted to read this just to see what you're hear your thoughts. Yeah. So Grant Morrison, this is the quote. American writers often say they find it difficult to write Superman. They say he's too powerful. You can't give him problems. But Superman is a metaphor. For me, Superman has the same problems we do, but on a Paul Bunyan scale. If Superman <laughs> walks the dog... He walks it around the asteroid belt because it can fly in space. When Superman's relatives visit, they come from the 31st century and bring some hellish monster conqueror from the future. But it's still just a story about relatives visiting. Yeah. Um, I, I thought that was just a really cool quote. <laughs> I love that. Um, so I just was curious what you had to say about it, um, just because you're the big Superman fan between the two of us. So no, I think you don't have um, anything to add. That's fine, too. So. No, Grant Morrison is like a really interesting writer and just a really interesting individual in general. Like if you've ever listened to like one of his interviews or hear even like heard him talk about like his like spiritual beliefs and stuff like his he can get really, really out there. But that's kind of more of a side note. But what he said about like Superman is like he does he is relatable and he has the same problems as us they're just on a bigger scale i've always felt that way and i've actually converted one of my friends before who i remember one of my friends was complaining about how he thought that superman is too powerful and you can't write a good story because he's just too overpowered and all i had to tell my friend was i was like dude more powerful hero 
more powerful villains. And like it totally like turned him around where he's just like, I never thought of it like that. But when you think about it, like Superman's fighting like Dark Side or Brainiac, like he's fighting these like really powerful like aliens or like crazy uh just like crazy high powered individuals in his comics. And I kind of converted a friend when I said that. And I feel like even though I had so much more of a simple way of putting it. I feel like Grant Morrison's comments there kind of are along the same lines. Like he is relatable. He does have problems. They're just much bigger in scale. And that's kind of what makes it cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. So. right. Well, in the midst of all this, and this is the end, and then we'll move on to our list. But in the midst of all this, we get to speculate about casting. And there has been no casting news, but there's been some yeah. internet fan casting. So I kind of pulled the big, I kind of pulled the big ones that people are like, oh my gosh, this should be the, uh, this should be right. who is playing who, okay? Now, I'm going to go through these, and some of them I think are massive pipe dreams, but I also think some of these are, um, some of these are not going to work because the actor's too old for the way James Gunn was explaining how they need to build their universe. But one of these, I think, is perfect. And I was already thinking it. And now I hope it's going to be a thing. So let me run down these. So for Batman, they have Jason Eccles from um, Jensen Eccles, sorry, from uh, uh, Supernatural. I think he's a little too oh, old. I think he's a little too old, but he'd be perfect. Like just physically looking at him, you're like, hell yeah, let's do that. But I'm, he might be too old for what James Gunn's going for. Um, right. Aiden Gallagher as Damian Wayne. Um, Aiden, Aiden Gallagher is plays five on the Umbrella Academy, which if we were doing this a few years ago, I would have been all on board. But I think he's a little more too grown up for what they need to do with Damian. Um, I okay, think Damian fair. I think Damian needs to be younger um, because when Damian gets dropped on Bruce Wayne's doorstep, um, he's 11. so um you need i think we need to go a little younger there here this one's a pipe dream miles teller as hal jordan oh okay um i can see that that i would never have thought that at first but that's interesting i can see it and i'm down it's never gonna happen (laughs) um i I could almost see him like they'd have to dye his hair but i could almost see him playing booster gold as well but uh that might be a conversation for a different day John David Washington as John Stewart. I okay. could totally see this and it would totally be amazing, but I don't think this is going to happen. <laughs> um, <laughs> that seems, that seems like a big pipe dream. Um, Stephen R. McQueen as uh, Dick Grayson. Um, he looks familiar, but I'm not um, drawing a connection to him. I think he's from like maybe Teen Wolf or one of the MTV, like, television series um huh yeah i'm, I'm kind of trying to look some of these people up but uh it says he's known for uh piranha 3d <laughs> oh okay yeah. oh it says he, he was on vampire diaries so, oh there we go okay there you go okay so i was close all right um tanner uh tanner buckman buchanan sorry i feel bad now tanner buchanan he was on uh cobra kai uh, the fan casting is they want him to play Jason Todd. This okay. one works. This one works in my opinion. It totally works. He's probably yeah. the right age to do this. He's like totally. Let's do Jason Todd. Why not? Um, 
Uh, Abigail, Abigail Cowan for Barbara Gordon. Eh, I can see it when you look at who, what she looks like compared to the comics. I can see it. I'm down. But I don't really have an opinion on that either way. Um, okay. Neil Patrick Harris as Booster Gold. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, why not? I mean, why not? It'd be awesome. The problem is I think Neil Patrick Harris is way too old to play this character. Yeah. For the decision they have for what they're going to do. And the one that I think is perfect and that I was already thinking about is Lily Reinhardt as Supergirl. Uh, Lily Reinhardt plays Betty Cooper on Riverdale. Um, oh, okay. So I was already thinking it, and then this popped up on the internet, and I'm like, yes, the internet's with me, and I haven't said it verbally. Like, <laughs> the internet's actually with me on this one. Um, I'm totally down for that, and I think that one should actually get locked in right now. Uh, but that's my opinion. <laughs> nice. Good call. So, yeah. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on any of those are, but, you know. Yeah, for the most part, I thought they seemed pretty solid, like some pretty solid picks. So no real complaints. It's kind of um, a little bit is like I feel like people are just picking what actor looks the most right for the role. But uh, yeah, especially that last one, the Supergirl one sounds pretty yeah. cool. So the Supergirl one, I'm just like, let's get let's lock that one down because we're not. <laughs> I know we're not going to get Melissa Benoist back, but if we're not. I like Lily Reinhardt. Like since I started watching Riverdale, like let's yeah, let's just keep going. Like let's get her on there. Like, this, I I really enjoy her as an actress, so let's do it. Um, right on. All right, you want to talk about tonight's list? Yeah, let's go for Enough it. Enough about news and all the other nonsense. Uh, yeah, so tonight's list. Um, let's roll the thing. Top five. Hey, Peter, this was this week. It was my pick. Um, I chose this list because one, we haven't done it in the 200 and whatever episodes we've done. But two, there was a quote from Kevin Feige a few weeks back. when We were talking about news about how he doesn't think comic books are going to go the way of the Western because adapting a comic book to the screen is no different than adapting a novel to the screen. And how many times have there been books that have been adapted to a movie? It's no right. different comic books or novels, whatever. So I thought it'd be kind of cool. Let's take a look at our favorite book adaptations. It can't be a comic. It has to be a novel adapted to the screen. Um, and one thing that used to bother the crap out of me when it came to movie conversations is every time it was based on a novel, someone would always say, well, the books are always better. Like, yeah, okay, whatever. That's not, <laughs> there'd always be someone that would say that it was like, it was like the beginning of the internet trolling the conversation. Like, well, you know, the books are better. Like it's just, that's, that's what they would say. It was, it was always that. Case that was a good, like Jim Gaffigan esque voice, by the way. Oh, yeah. All right. All like, oh, the books are always better. Yeah. Like, the way it is like that's the way someone and someone in the conversation will always say that like okay yeah. it's fine but we're talking about the movie right now and we're talking about how it was done like <laughs> you know um, right so anyway that's where i came up with the list i don't know if you found it difficult to do or not um yeah. No, th this wasn't wasn't too difficult. Like a lot of mine were kind of pretty quick to put together. Uh, the biggest difficulty is like I'm admittedly not as well read as I probably should be. So oh. um, and I tried to stick with books that I've actually read. Um, 
so that was kind of the challenge but other than that i didn't find this too hard but um no the whole conversation like the book almost is always better because not only are they taking a story that probably took hours and hours to read and they have to bring it down to two hours but also like the movie is competing with what you imagined in your head and there's no way that especially when you go back to like the 80s and 90s and before that when they're you have these movies with practical effects having to compete with like your wildest uh images in your imagination it's really hard to compete with that so i think that's kind of why the book is always better but i mean it's an objectively true statement but i also do understand what you mean like why are you bogging down our analysis of the film with like kind of the hacky, you know, it's always better. <laughs> the book is always better sort of line. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And you know, it, the book's always better. Thank you. I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you for that dynamite drop in. Um, anyway. Um, so this was my pick. So you have to go first. I do have two honorable mentions. Uh, I have one honorable mention. So you no. have to go first. <laughs> All right. So my first honorable mention is a movie called treasure Island. Um, I'm going to say which this. one <laughs> thing. there have been several, several treasure Island is my, is probably my favorite book of all time. It's the book that got me into books. Like when I was young and you know, the parents want you to read more instead of like playing video games or doing other things like you should read more. Um, this is the book that got me excited about reading and it's a book that I read once a year. Um, so I know the story so, so, so well, but there's been several versions like the Muppet Treasure Island and they have the old school Disney one and stuff. They have versions out there. Um, and then the TV show on stars, black sales is the events in the world leading up to what the novel will be. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, but there is a version and it, the only reason this makes an honorable mention is because ultimately most of the treasure Island remakes are not that great. Um, right. so it's just, it's, that's why it's making an honorable mention. Um, but the reason, uh, but the specific one I'm referring to is the Charlton Heston, Christian Bale version of Treasure Island. A lot of people don't know it exists. It's very, very difficult to find. It's a very rare movie. I, I was able to track it down on DVD, so I was able to get a good copy of it. Um, but it is, in my opinion, it's the best version. I think it's, and I've rewatched it recently. It still holds up, which is kind of cool. Um, so yeah, if you get a chance to watch it, I would recommend that or just read the book because the book's fantastic, but yeah. So that's awesome. I don't want to, I don't want to say the book is better than the movie because that specific version, the Charlton Heston one, they were so faithful, um, that it was just really, it was just a really solid movie. So anyway. Yeah, that's awesome. This is something that I actually thought was going to be at the top of your list. So, uh, oh. Very interesting, but a great pick. Um, I can move into my next honorable mention. And this is a movie that we or this is this is an honorable mention because it's a cheat because it's multiple movies. And this is a movie series that we talked extensively about last week. But I actually just went with the Lord of the Rings trilogy by Peter Jackson. How can you not mention this for a book to film adaptation? I think it's one of the greatest of all times. Um, but this is one that. um I just included because of the cheat factor that I just said. And uh, also just uh, I did. I never finished reading the books <laughs> like I read the fellowship and then fell off somewhere within the two towers. But uh, still like talking about a movie series that really like 
put its all into adapting like a novel or a series of novels as a source material, I don't know how you get much better than this one. You know what I mean? So, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I totally hear you. And in terms of like the amount that we talked about Lord of the Rings last week, I don't want to go too deep into it, but no, this, I just thought it was a really, I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, you know, it's funny because there's that joke in Parks and Rec where they ask uh, Ben Wyatt uh, about, they bring up Lord of the Rings and he makes a comment. He's like, well, I really didn't like Peter Jackson's uh, vision. Like he was doing that, that snooty uh, nerd thing. Um, right. And ultimately, like, I think they did a really, really beautiful job of adapting those books to the screen. And it the achievement is, I mean, it's, that there was a feat it was an achievement and ultimately it paid off and you can see it like yeah. you can tell that they really put their heart and soul into it so it's really hard to like you know knock on those at all so um i'm totally yeah, absolutely pick um my second honorable mention is also a cheat but it's only a cheat because it's a 26 page short story so i didn't think it actually counted it's a 26 page short story that got adapted to a two-hour film and i thought it was beautifully and incredibly well done. And that's the movie minority report. Um, oh, sweet. <laughs> yeah. The, I didn't realize that was a short story, but yeah, it's all. a short story. The, I remember when I picked up the novel, I wanted to, I wanted to read it and I picked it up and it was like uh Philip K. Dick minority report and other amazing stories or something like that. And I'm mm-hmm. like, what do you mean other amazing stories. So I start reading and minority report is over in 26 pages. And I was like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the fact that and the 26 the page story, it's great. But at the same time, they had to adapt that to a two hour movie. So they had to take some liberties and create. And Spielberg and Tom Cruise did a really nice job of flushing that out and creating this really good movie. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Did you say this was Philip K. Dick? Sorry, I might have missed that. Yes, I did. Talk about the thing about him is like, I just feel like he's like a writer who I don't know how he did it, but he was just so on the pulse for not only like ethical issues involved in like a lot of science fiction concepts, but also like because of like the major themes, like the ethical ethical themes behind his writings, he has just stayed so relevant. Like, I don't know how the guy did it, but like minority report, like the idea of like pre-crime, like arresting somebody before they commit the crime. That's something that's relevant today when it comes to like the NSA and like your internet history and all, all sorts of stuff like that, as well as when you look into like total recall or like he did blade runner as well. Right. And I feel like a lot of these movies, I'd have, have to double, I'd have to double check that, but okay. Fair. I might be wrong there, but I feel like a lot of his stuff has stayed so relevant and it really comes down to the ethics of it. And it's one of the, probably the most impressive thing uh, about his uh writing which is pretty cool so yeah Yeah. all right well um that brings you to your first actual pick yeah so uh (laughs) my first actual pick i kind of consider a cheat but that's really just because i'm in the process of reading this i haven't finished it yet i've mentioned it on the show but i actually went with uh it but uh the stephen king uh novel turned into a movie and i'd be specifically talking about the uh the newer, like, um, I can't remember when the first one came out. I want to say 
2017 2018 something like that but yeah the newer iteration of the it series i really enjoy um i this actual list was kind of a good reminder of me to me that i need to continue reading that (laughs) that novel because i was reading it a lot like a couple months ago and i kind of fell off but um i love this story um Everything I've read in the novel so far is pretty similar to what you get on screen when you actually watch those movies. But uh, as Stephen King has said on social media, like plenty of times before, like this newer iteration of that story, as far as like the motion picture goes, is quite faithful. So that's pretty awesome. But my favorite part about it is like the concept of Pennywise as like he's this sort of like. cosmic like fear demon that has came to earth and he's been on earth for centuries and uh the way he feeds on his victims fear and stuff and returns it's like a cyclical cycle where he returns and stuff i find that really fascinating and i think the uh weird cosmic and imaginative version of that horror story is what i really love about the movie like i love when you see um is it, I can't remember which Skarsgård brother plays uh, Pennywise in the films, but when you see him acting and sort of like his practical makeup and stuff, and when he attacks someone and it morphs into the CGI creepy, like beastly looking thing with a lot of teeth and stuff. Like, I think that's a really cool thing that not a lot of horror movies do where they have that interplay between like the CGI effects and practical effects in such an imaginative way. And that's kind of like one of my favorite parts of it is like the it movies, I think really play up on the imaginative aspect of horror that I think a lot of movies, other movies don't. So there you go. And I don't, I've never read that book. So I can't speak to the, how faithful the adaptations are, unfortunately. So yeah, um, from everything I've read, which is, um, honestly not like super far but everything i've read so far is like super faithful but the book is obviously like way way more detailed (laughs) like if you know you know stephen king so you know it's like super detailed you know so yeah yeah yeah. um well there's times stephen king will spend like 40 pages to describe something that takes 30 seconds on screen so (laughs) (laughs) absolutely but at the same time you're getting like the characters like inner monologue and like thousands of references to random bits of pop culture or whatever else is going on yeah. in the scene. And yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, but yeah. Um, all right. So my first actual pick, we can make it really short because we just talked about it and that's Lord of the Rings. Beautiful. Did yeah, you pick I, a specific movie or just the no, just trilogy? The, the, the trilogy as a whole, because of the, uh, the <laughs> feat of adapting those books to the screen. Yeah. That's why it was like, this could be a short one because you brought it up. I was like, sweet. Technically, we're out of the way. So unfortunately, I'm tossing it back to you. But yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I'm going to get a little weird with this pick, um, but it is. And this is a movie that I've talked a couple times before about on a podcast. And this is one of my favorite book adaptations. But I actually went with uh, The Muppets, A Christmas Carol. (laughs) Like, obviously, I love A Christmas Carol, like the book and the uh, various movie adaptations and the Muppets version, I find very, um, very faithful, but in a in a Muppets way, you know, where like you watch this movie and the first line is that sort of like so the first line of A Christmas Carol is like uh, Jacob Marley 
was dead to begin with. And so the first line of <laughs> It's a Christmas Carol is the Marley brothers were dead to begin with. And it's that slight muppetizing of everything, but at the same time, everything's also super faithful. And I feel like this, this is one of my favorite Christmas movies, but I feel like there's so much heart to this movie. Like the way everything plays out, pulls at your heartstrings and the music is all really good. And I think that adds to the relatability and the emotions of the whole story. So I've talked to this film to death, so I don't have to go on and on, but this is one of my faves. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm totally with you. Um, I'm I one. I'm surprised you chose the Christmas Carol, which is totally fine. But um, the this specific version, you've talked so many times on the show about how like <laughs> yeah. of this version of the film uh, in this version of the story. And to be completely honest, this is my favorite version of the Christmas Carol story too. It's awesome. it's literally just the best version of it. It really is, and um, <laughs> at least until they do like some well, maybe. Scrooge is right with it, but ultimately I think this is the best version there is of the classics. Nice. <laughs> um, speaking of classics, and I promise I won't stay in classics, but speaking of classics, um, my next one is the Three Musketeers. Oh, uh, awesome, awesome! There have been there have been several versions of this made over the years. Um, in my personal opinion, the best, and I know you agree with me, the best is the Disney one, the one with uh, Chris O'Donnell and Charlie Sheen and Oliver Platt and. Um, you know, the, uh, Kiefer Sutherland, that specific, that specific version is the best version. Um, the, um, the one with Tim Roth was really good. That one was titled the Musketeer. And then, yeah. um, yeah, they've had like, you know, the man in the iron mask, which is technically the sequel to the must three musketeers, but the novel itself, the original novel by Alexander Dumas is an incredibly thick book. Like it's massive. And the Disney one, for example, the one that I like the best, can only capture so much in that time span. So they there's they couldn't do the like they got you basically get the gist of it, but you're not getting the full story. Um, but they did do a really nice, in my opinion, faithful uh, adaptation. The ones that I'm really curious about, and we talked about it a while back, was the trailers for those new ones, um, the Three Musketeers uh, uh, two parter that's going to be dropping here soon. Um, I really look forward yes. to watching those a lot because it looks like they're going to be able to cover more of the book than I think uh, we've ever seen. So, but I really like the versions that I do like a few of the versions that have come out. Like I said, the Disney one's my favorite, but that book is awesome. If you've never read it, it's really, really good. So, um, and it's, there's a lot of it that's in French and with the way they talk. So you kind of got to, you kind of get your mindset into reading that kind of writing but yeah. it's a really, really good book. So, yeah. Absolutely. Anyway. Great call. I just uh, haven't read the entire book. I, I know I started at one point and kind of fell off. So <laughs> I feel like that's the common theme for my list or so far. But sure. uh, okay. no, no, great call. This this one should have come up. But like I said, I was strict on myself and tried to pick books that I actually had read in full for the most part for my list. So um but yeah. yeah, great call. And uh, I could move into my next pick yeah, um, if got. you want. I actually went with uh, The Outsiders. So The Outsiders oh. is the book by uh, S.E. Hinton, which is kind of in a weird way. I feel like it's a coming of age book for I feel like people like in the American school system. Like I feel like everybody has that 
English class in junior high where they have to read the outsiders. But the thing is you like get to that class and you're like, wait, my whole life we've been reading like super boring stories. And now we get to read a story about a bunch of greasers who smoke and drink and get in knife fights. And like, I actually think this is pretty cool. And that's really the impression I was left with from the book. I was like, this is really fun stuff. It's stuff that I can relate to. It's gritty. It feels real in a lot of ways that I've been craving, especially with a lot of the other required reading that I've gotten in school. But then when it comes to the movie, um, I love the film. Like, I feel like it's like kind of a standout 80s motion picture, but it's very... um, timeless as well because it takes place in like the 50s or early 60s but it surrounds this group of greasers and it feels so like I already used the word but it feels so gritty and that's my favorite part about the movie is the feeling of it like from what I remember the movie is quite faithful to the book but I feel like it really captured that feel of like the grittiness and how all these characters are poor and kind of um i am I'm, I'm kind of lacking like the right words but kind of the struggles they have and stuff and i feel like when it comes to people who embrace the rockabilly culture and like you know like that old school like 50s rockabilly greaser culture like a lot of people in modern days i feel like seem a little bit too um a little too well-kempt about it. Like you see the people who like, you know, have the greaser style, but they have like the perfectly coiffed hair and like the really clean, like edgy fifties sort of clothes. And I feel like the outsiders is more of a view on how greasers probably really were. (laughs) Where it's just kind of like dudes with leather jackets and greasy hair, but they were poor and they did have these plights that everybody can relate to. And uh, probably the last thing I'll say is like, this movie is really interesting because the cast is such an 80s who's who for like young actors. Um, I wrote a couple down before we recorded the episode, but we're talking about like Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, Diane Lane, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel like this movie is such a classic. It's kind of a forgotten classic. I feel like I feel like I don't hear a lot of people bring it up, but I think it does really well encompass the feel of the book. So that's kind of kind of why it made my list. I don't know if you have any thoughts on The Outsiders, Drew, but... Um, as soon as you said it, I was like, good pull, but at the same time, my brain went, oh, that was required reading in school. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, so it was like, it automatically had that stigma of, oh, I was told I had to do this. <laughs> but yeah, no, good pull. Um, I appreciate the pick. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, so my next one is Gone Girl. Oh, uh, nice. First off, the book's really cool, and this is one that I read the book after the fact, because I didn't really know much about it, and I was like, this movie looks cool, and it's Fincher, I have to see this. Um, so I'm going off the David Fincher thing going, this looks great, I gotta go check this out, and then when I found out it was based on the novel, I read the novel after the fact, and they did a really good job of adapting it and stuff, it was, um, I think I overall, I prefer the movie better, but it might just be the order I watched them in, um, but yeah, I don't know, did you ever see Gone Girl, do you have an opinion on this at all, like? I saw the movie, um, I think I'd actually be interested in the book, because I liked a lot of the, uh, I feel like so much of the movie was kind of the, um, the wife's like sort of internal monologue and uh the way that david fincher like 
uh, paired some of those, uh, what she said with like the imagery of the movie, like I thought it was really, uh, really interestingly done. Um, I haven't read the book, obviously, as I mentioned, but I think uh, this one's definitely a good pick. And that's actually something I was going to ask because I do remember a lot of the movies. Um, there was a lot of just like internal monologue with uh, that sort of wife character. Was that was she the main like was the book all told from her perspective or did it switch back and forth between her and her husband? I remember right. A large chunk of it was told from her perspective. Okay. The way Fincher handled it was kind of a beautiful way of uh, piecing it all together. Um, If I'm if I'm remembering correctly, but yeah, I just, I loved the inner monologue from the wife. And then I also liked how the inner monologue from the wife kind of stopped at a certain point. And it was only because they stopped reading the diary, you know. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Got to remember, like once the police stopped reading the diary, that's (laughs) when the inner monologue stopped, and that's when the twist comes in. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Good call. Uh, Yeah. Anyway, Gone Girl. So go ahead. What's your next one? Yeah. So um, a list like this wouldn't be complete if I didn't mention uh, Harry Potter at all. So um, I actually went with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Um, That's the fifth movie out of all of the Harry Potter movies. This is my favorite one. Um, I love the Harry Potter book series. I'm not like a super fan where I've read it like multiple times. Like I kind of read it through once. I really loved it. I probably watched the movie series like once a year. Like it's kind of one of those things like, oh, it feels like time to rewatch through all these films. But um, yeah, I love this series. And the fifth book was never it's up there. Like, I feel like the last four, five, six, seven, I feel like all those books are so solid, in my opinion. But my favorite book is actually the sixth because of all the uh, sort of all the stuff that's revealed about uh, Voldemort's past and stuff. And that book is so cool. But the fifth movie I just feel like is the best out of all the movies. And like, you can make arguments for, uh, you know, the prisoner prisoner of Azkaban had like so many cool parts and stuff and people argue different ways, but I feel like when it comes to execution and adapting a book and cutting out certain parts and accentuating other parts, the fifth movie to me is like such a solid film just in general that that's why why it makes my list. I think you have you have stuff like Dolores Umbridge who takes over as the headmaster of Hogwarts and she is such a good villain for that movie. Like she's not the main villain, like she's not Voldemort, but she's such a makeshift villain, like such a good choice as a villain for that movie and executed so well that it works so well. And then when it comes to the rest of the events of the film, how everything plays out, like it it just feels like I don't know if it's the writing or the directing, the editing. I think it's all of it just together makes like a really solid film. And I know people have, this isn't usually what people say, but in my opinion, like the fifth Harry Potter film, the order of the Phoenix is kind of the standout best made movie all around. Like when you look at it from all angles, I think this is the best one. And it's one where like, the book is a certain length and they obviously had to cut stuff out for the movie, but they figured out which parts to cut out and they really accentuated the important points of the story. And I think that's like kind of 
the movie's a little bit like pretty well done when it comes to choosing which parts of the movie you want to keep in, if that makes sense. So, yeah. Yeah, right on. Now, I'm gonna, I feel bad because in my ter- terms of watching Harry Potter, I never got this far. <laughs> right. <laughs> fell off the bandwagon before this movie. But you're not the only one who says it's the best. You're not the only one who says they really book. You're not the only one who prefer that they like this movie the best. Um, so I'm totally with you. And it's a great pick just because and I'm not and I'm not surprised you brought Harry Potter up. And I figured I figured you would have when I gave you this list, to be honest. But, right, right. Um, yeah. Um, in the royal world of teen drama adventure things and your point from Gone Girl about the uh, perspective of one character, the next pick on my list is The Hunger Games. Um, <laughs> nice. Very specifically, the first one. Right. Um, in, in all seriousness, the whole trilogy was great um, and how it was adapted to the screen and everything. But the first one really kind of opened my eyes because I remember the movie was coming out. I I really wanted to see it. I really wanted to check it out. But I wasn't sure if I wanted to read the book. And then someone gave me it was a Christmas gift like, oh, Andy wants to see Hunger Games. I will give you the books for Christmas kind of thing. And you're just like, sweet. And I'm like, well, I have them at my disposal. Why not give it a go? So yeah. it's like, I'm going to get the first one done before the movie comes out. And then yeah. I had the second one done before the first movie came out. I couldn't put these <laughs> books down. I just could not put the books down. Um, and I read them so fast. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. But the books are all written first-person perspective from Katniss's point of view. And that's not how movies translate. And there's no... Um, narrative from her like you don't hear her narrating but if you read the books and you know it's a first person perspective so you get the internal monologues while you're reading if you watch Jennifer Lawrence's performance really closely she's doing the internal monologues the entire time like she knows like it's very clear that she knows the books back and forth and she knows how she needs to like handle her emotions and her facial expressions and everything to cover all of it. And it's beautifully done and beautifully adapted. Um, I'm calling out the first one specifically because that's where my brain went, Whoa, they're doing it right. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And yeah, they have to cut a couple things and maybe adapt a couple things. So it fits properly, but ultimately you get, it, it kind of all works itself out the way you hope it would. So uh, but yeah, Hunger Games. I love those books. I kind of thought about doing a reread, to be completely honest, because I was like, these the books are great. And I remember looking at my shelf because I went through all of my I went through my library. By the way, I found out that the definition of a library is you have to have a minimum of a thousand books to be considered a library. Well, I have <laughs> I have over that amount. So now I just need to name the library. But anyway, I was looking at my library, looking at for what books have I read that got adapted to movies, and I was like, oh yeah, Hunger Games. So. That's awesome. Uh, it made the short list real fast. And then as I was piecing together the final picks, I was like, no, Hunger Games got to go. So, um, <laughs> Well, I look forward to see, hearing what uh, your library's name is going to be. But uh, yeah, no, I just got to figure it out. I was just, yeah, the, the definition of a library is a minimum of a thousand books. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome. How many books do I have? So I went home and started counting. Uh, <laughs> so um, what is your final pick of the night, Peter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say Hunger Games is a great pick. I just don't have too much to say about it because I haven't read the book. But obviously, 
huge movies and just a huge cultural force. Um, my last pick, um, speaking of David Fincher, I actually went with uh, Fight Club. Not surprised, talked, so. <laughs> I've talked ad nauseum on this uh, on this podcast, but I'll probably say what I always say about Fight Club is I remember back in the day there was this show on VH1, which was an old music-based uh, TV station, if anybody doesn't know what that is. But there's a show on VH1 called I Love the 90s. And on that show, on one of the episodes, they were talking about the movie Fight Club. And that show spoiled Fight Club. It Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a spoiler warning here. That show revealed that the main character of Fight Club and Tyler Durden are the same person. I knew that. And this was before I ever saw the movie. And after hearing that, I kind of avoided the movie because it was kind of spoiled for me. But flash forward to when I was in college, I had a friend who lent me the book Fight Club, just like, you should read this. This is cool. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a chance. I read through the book. I loved it. After reading the book, of course, you've got to watch the movie. The movie is super, super uh, faithful to the book. Like, I feel like they only cut out a couple scenes. They only change a couple things. Like, some of the things they change, the movie actually just simplifies certain parts a little bit in in a way that it's almost... Um, it almost makes it better, some of the changes they make. And yeah. the end the end of the movie is definitely a lot different than the book. The end of the movie things kind of play out differently. And in the book, they're more ambiguous and yada, yada, yada. But the crazy part was I read this entire book. I watched the whole movie and I loved them both. And that happened while I had the big twist already spoiled for me. And I feel like that's such a uh, testament to how well the movie was made and how good this book is that even though the major twist was definitely spoiled, I still loved it. And in fact, I was actually able to pick up on some of the hints at what was going to happen before they actually happened, because I knew, you know, certain things going into it. But I've told this story before, but yeah, I definitely love Fight Club. I think it's an awesome movie. I think it's it's one of those things where the the ethics and the themes of the movie are also really interesting to talk about because I feel like it's a big internet discussion piece and it's always it's fun to talk about who you think gets the themes right and wrong about the film and stuff like that but uh yeah I don't know Drew do you have any thoughts on this one well my thoughts on this if you listen to the podcast I'm pretty sure the audience our listening audience thinks <laughs> thinks that you believe film began and ended with Fight Club but no I don't think I don't think that, but it's just certain no, lists. Like, I, I know you don't. Lot, just, you know, so it, it it does come up a lot. Um, Fight Club made my short list pretty quick, but the yeah. reason it didn't make my final list was because your point about how being faithful, I felt it was almost too faithful, and oh, which is uh, which is ultimately a thing which that begs to differ. Like, well, what do you like better? And then that's where the person's like, well, the book's always better. Um. But uh, no, this is I, one I, of the few cases where I do feel that it's uh, debatable. And to be fair, this is another one where, like, on my day to day life, I rarely talk to anybody about Fight Club. Like, I feel like you listen to our podcast. It probably seems like I'm this super obsessed Fight Club super fan. And it's kind of like in the same way that you have like a movie like 
Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which I've talked about on this podcast so much, but I never yeah. like talk about or think about in my daily life. <laughs> so I think that comment is like pretty funny, like, oh, well, Peter's just obsessed with Fight Club. And I'm like, well, I'm really not. I just like it a lot. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. Um, well, my final pick of the night um, is this book I read after I saw the movie. And it made me think that the movie was, like, slapped together, to be completely honest, after I read the book. Um, but this is uh, Jurassic Park. Um, nice. This is one of those books that really set me on the path of, like, re- like you know, I said Treasure Island made me want to read and read more and more and more. Jurassic Park made me want to, like, really read. Like, there's some really, really cool stuff out there that I've been missing and not exploring other genres and so on and so on. Like, Jurassic Park really hooked me, hooked me bad uh, for certain types of books and certain authors and so on and so on. Um, And uh, the movie is wonderful, but, you know, and the movie came out, I was 13, went and saw the movie, loved it, decided to read the book, loved it even more. Went back as an adult and reread the book and was, like, disgusted at what we got for a movie (laughs) Um, because of how good the book really, really is. And there's things that, in my opinion, probably shouldn't have been adjusted for the on-screen stuff. Like, the fact that they're not dinosaurs doesn't get expressed enough in those movies, for example. Um, Yeah. But Jurassic Park, it's so amazing. It's just what um michael crichton was doing um with that book and the points he was trying to make on genetic engineering and all that stuff it's just it's really really well put together and it's such a cool like you know it's and you also have to remember that jurassic park exists because crichton was like crichton wrote westworld and was like i don't know if i really like how that turned out so he took the same concept from westworld and wrote jurassic park so basically did Jurassic Park is essentially Westworld with dinosaurs. Mm. And that was the whole point of it. Um, and that's it's just really cool because, you know, he wrote this thing about cowboys and robots in a theme park to go see cowboys that are robots. And then um, he's like, I don't know if I really like that the way it played out. Let's do it with dinosaurs and make it more like exciting and epic. Like, that's awesome. Nice. So, <laughs> um, yeah, no, Jurassic Park, such a wonderful book. I highly, highly recommend reading it. Um, because there's so much more to it than just what you know. And that movie was only able to, in my opinion, capture a fraction of what really goes on on that island. Um, It also changes the perspective of John Hammond. He was more of a villain character than you think he was, um, than the movie makes him out to be, and so on. And it's just, yeah, just really good. So, um, so good, in fact, that when the second book came out, I bought it and read it so fast and then was so upset and angry when the second movie came out. So, because it's not good. Um. <laughs> well, um, I haven't read the book, but from everything I've heard, like, it kind of sounds like exactly what you said, where there's so much more to the movie or to the story than the movie shows. But at the same time, like, I do love that. First of all, the movie was just a massive cultural phenomenon in like the year. I don't remember if it's 93 or 94 or whenever 93. it came out, but it's something that still holds up, like not just the filmmaking, but just the cultural impact 
that Jurassic Park has had on us as a society. So I think that's really noteworthy. But I do think it's cool that within the book, there's so much more to it. And I do. One of the things that I like about Jurassic Park is how I feel like probably a lot of that's that. Uh, further exploration that you can find in the book, I feel like it's kind of a little bit under the surface of the original movie, but it's just there enough that you can still um, sense it in a way. Like you can still have those conversations with your friends and you can be like, well, remember, you know, these aren't actually dinosaurs. These are, you know, cloned chimeric creatures, you know, made up of dinosaur DNA and other creatures and stuff like that. And it's, it's a fun I think the under the surface stuff is just as fun as what you get in the actual movie. And uh, yeah, Jurassic Park's cool. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Pick. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right, man. What are we doing next week? Yeah. So this is going to be a weird list and I don't know if it's going to be hard. I'm hoping that, but uh, kind of out of the blue. Well, this is a little bit uh, inspired by the fact that we're not there yet. But we're slowly getting back into convention season. And uh, to kind of start bringing up that vibe, I think it'd be fun to talk about our top five favorite convention panels we've gone to. And this might be weird, and I'm hoping you remember some, Drew. But this can be anything from, like, I went to this panel with, like, this crazy famous celebrity who was running the thing and that was really memorable and maybe I got to ask a question and it was cool but maybe it was just really funny I know there's we got we've gone to so many panels so some of them might not be easy to remember but I have a couple of really crazy ones <laughs> I kind of wanted to mention and that's also what kind of led to this list so hopefully you have fun with this one okay, is really so what I was like saying favorite panels we've been to yes okay making yeah. sure I make sure I'm understanding the yeah and I know we've recorded some of them that have been on this podcast, so hopefully yeah. there's not too much overlap. But uh, again, I'm hoping you have fun with this one. I had a couple that I realized I wanted to kind of talk about. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, I don't know how much I'm going to have to say on these, but that's OK. Um, yeah, it can definitely go either way with this list. <laughs> um, this could be a short discussion, but hey, that's all right. Maybe we'll have tons of news. <laughs> um. <laughs> But yeah, cool, man. Um, all right, everybody. Um, that kind of brings us to the end of this week's episode. So we're going to toss it in the can and move on. So do us all a favor. One, check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, Twitter and Facebook, along with a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. You can interact with the show there. Social media, either way works. Um, we are on Google Play, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Audible, you can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words we say feel important. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Drew3927. Uh, Peter, what about you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Ninja Pierre, and that's where I will be reporting on the Disney Plus origin story of Shmi. <laughs> Dude, they should do one of those. <laughs> It'd be pretty cool. <laughs> is it Shmi or Smi? Probably Smi. I don't know why I always go Shmi, but... Uh... It's all good. Shmi is uh, <laughs> Shmi's Anakin Skywalker's mom. Yeah, I was going to say that, too. I think I watched episode one too much when I was a kid, so... <laughs> yeah, it's all good. 
can you watch it too much? That's the other question. So sorry. You can never watch it too much. Um, All right, everyone. For the top five report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you.